When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing you the hottest freaking stories from the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton from the Barca blog team here in New York City, and I'm joined, of course, across the ocean by Francis Tomas, as seen on ESPN and BarcaBlog.com. You can follow our show with the show notes at tbpod.link backslash 26. Again, that's TBP, or the Barcelona podcast, and it's tbpod for pod.link backslash 26. Frances, what topics are we going to discuss today? Today we're going to be looking at the victory over Betis, which was much needed. Then we're going to move on to Jean-Michel Sarri and the reports that say that he's coming in the next few hours, like everything seems to be. And then we're going to move on to the surplus midfield sort of fiasco with Gomez, Paulinho, even Iniesta and all the different players we got in there. So TBP 26 starts right here. And we'll start right with that game. That happened yesterday, that being Sunday, when Barcelona opened the La Liga campaign at home at the Camp Nou against Real Betis, where they won 2-0. There was an own goal in the 36th minute through Alan Tosca, and a goal in the 39th minute through Sergi Roberto. Barca were back to dominating possession, 61%, and hitting their passes, 89%. They won 67% of their tackles, so they were quite clean when Batiste came the other way. But they still only won 38% of their aerial duels. That's the stat that kind of jumped off the page to me. Frances, what were your impressions of the game? 
I thought it was quite telling that Valverde started experimenting and experimented differently as he had done at the Bernabeu. Um, he opted for a 4-2-3-1 mobile formation. That means that he varied the 4-3-3 that Barca have traditionally used over the years. But um, he decided not to stick with the back line of five or three with two pushing forward fullbacks as he did in the Bernabeu because, let's face it, that didn't quite work out. Um, I thought that Messi was, surprise, surprise, the star of the show. Um, he was given a new position close to sort of going back three, four years to the false nine. Um, it really did work. Uh, Messi, as you know, is normally given freedom to basically roam around wherever he wants. But I really enjoyed the fact that he was dropping into midfield whenever he needed to. I thought his combination and sort of position swapping with Sergio Roberto was tremendous, was the, the best news of the game. Um, to the point that Messi had 25 more passes on average than he did last season. He was much more involved. Um, he, although, you know, he was more central as well. So despite the fact that he was all over the place in a positive way, he had ended up getting 10 shots on goal, which is also better than his average last season. And uh, he had a hat-trick of posts, unfortunately. Um, we need to make sure the Cam no goals are widened up by, say, 10 centimeters, and he would have got a hat-trick yesterday. Um, I thought that Busquets was pretty good as well. He was back to his best. He was organizing behind, as he has traditionally done, um, although he was slightly sort of more free and confident to move forward whenever needed, which is a bit of a slight modification on his game. Um, as I mentioned before, Sergio Roberto was outstanding. I thought he was interchanging positions with Messi between the lines fantastically well. Um, he was incredibly fit. He gave sort of that bit of energy that we have been lacking in recent times. So it was great to have him in the starting eleven. I thought Rakitic was much closer to Busquets as usual. And um, he performed really well behind the ball. I think that gave the midfield quite a lot of consistency. And that was another positive. Um, overall, you would say that the team improved in terms of pressure. Uh, the pressure that we have been demanding for so many weeks and months um, seemed to come back against Betis, which was great. Um, it was higher up the pitch as well, which enabled us to recover control much closer to the opponent's goal. And um, I also like the fact that everyone was helping each other so much better. So plenty of positives to take away. Um, what did you see, Dan? Well, I just have some of the numbers of what you were just talking about, where Messi, by and large, offensively was Barcelona's real only answer. He had 10 total shots compared to two from Sergi Roberto and Gerard Delefeu, and then Paco Alcacera had one. That midfield combination you're talking about with Sergi Busquets, 90% of his passes he hit, and he hit 99 total passes. Ivan Rakitic, meanwhile, as we mentioned, I thought for him that was the best I've seen him so far throughout the preseason and now with this opening game and the Super Cup counting as well. He had more of an engine that we've seen, and that might be moving forward what Rakitic's best role is. And even in years past, that's been his best role is to leave the Andres Iniesta, or in this case, Sergi Roberto, to be the one to move forward and to push forward and to work with Messi more offensively while he, meanwhile, works on the defensive side of things, cleans things up, but he has that skill to go forward and not necessarily go box to box because I don't want to put what the players' roles are into saying, well, this is exactly what the team needs. But Rakitic, in this instance, really was the engine working hard and helping between those lines. Because as we saw in the Super Cup, that was one of the big worries we had, is that from defense, 
to attack. It just seemed like you were shuttling one line defense to midfield to attack, and it had to go through this progression that the other team could easily shut down with some heavy pressure. And Roberto, for me, was a guy who gained... If you were on the fence about keeping Sergio Roberto, this should be the game that Ernesto Valverde says, yeah, this is a guy I have to have, not necessarily as my out-and-out starter, because I think he had one of the better games he's had, but Roberto clearly showed that if he's given a certain role and certain duties, that he can do those to the fullest, hitting 89% of his passes. And for Roberto's performance, as I'm looking at it, it reminded me, unfortunately, the two games that we saw Barcelona play competitively this season already were against Real Madrid. And in that first game, Isco was the one that impressed me. And Sergio Roberto really did remind me against Batiste of what Isco had looked against Barcelona in the first leg of that Super Cup. And that's a position and a, a piece of the puzzle that I think Barcelona's attack was missing. And I think Roberto, as you had mentioned, really did help combining well with Delafeo, combining well with Messi. And for me, Nelson Semedo, he was another one, a positive that we're taking from this game. He actually had the highest passing percentage, 94% of any of the Barcelona starters. So that's a really good sign. And then the players that he's competing with in Alexi Vidal didn't really impress coming off the bench. He had trouble linking up with his teammates. And then on the wing, the other two guys being Paco Alcatera and Delefeu. Delefeu was good at times. Of course, he's the one to be credited with the first goal, the own goal. Uh, it was all ingenuity from Delafeo. Tried to find Messi. Messi could have got a little piece to it, but nevertheless, it winds up being an own goal. But Delafeu did struggle at other times. I liked what Delafeu was doing defensively, how Valverde was getting him to work hard. But in the same respect, the way that Nelson Semedo and Jordi Alba were part of that attack, that's what we have talked about in previous weeks that we really, truly need to see from the fullbacks being a part of the attack, but also helping defensively. And against Batiste, Barcelona were able to do all of those things. I agree, totally. I think that both fullbacks were great. I think Semedo in particular was really intense. He was very physical. He looked like he really meant business, you know, and um, the comparisons with Dani Alves are going to keep coming and they've already started in the Catalan press and, and within the Camp Nou, but it is just natural. He's, he's got much more confidence than he has shown before. He was much, much more vertical, much more eager to move forward. Um, I think it was quite telling that when Alex Vidal came in, he didn't sort of take Sem- Valverde didn't take Semedo out. He actually got Vidal to play in front of him. Um, contrary to what you would believe, they actually were passing the ball to each other and sort of supporting each other's game. But um, it is quite clear that Semedo was the better one of the two. Um, he was constantly generating spaces. And I really, really think that the speed that he adds to the game will generate plenty of advantages in our attack. So... Definitely a great signing that at 30 million euros, considering the current transfer window right now, does seem a little bit of a steal. Now, going back to the um, Alcácer de Olufeo duo that you mentioned, I thought that they were both pretty good at starting from the wings and then shifting towards the middle. Um, That really helped free Messi up to do pretty much whatever he felt he needed to do. Um, Particularly de Olufeo, as you said, made the headlines because of uh, his involvement in the goals. But I really lo- loved the um, positioning that he had at the start. He was always thinking vertically. He was starting sort of his positioning from the left side. I think that in order to get even better, he needs to trust himself more when he's facing one-to-one situations, you know, because um, a lot of the times you would say Neymar would have attempted to dribble and move forward. Deolofeu didn't always attend that. And um, it was quite reassuring and encouraging to hear Deulofeu himself after the game admitting that, you know, I said, he's, he literally said himself, 
I need to be more vertical and, and be more sort of trustworthy of my own skills in order to develop. So plenty of good news in a game that we really, really need it. Well, Frances, we have two fan questions today that are based directly on what we're talking about with Delafeu. First, on Twitter, we're asked by Sam, or at Sam Wilkins QPR, and he says, what part do you see Delafeu playing this season? And then along those same lines, Kristen Sill, or S-I-I-L, on Facebook also asked, if we would get Dembele, would Valverde make him work as much in defense as Delafeu did against Batiste? If no, then what would be the defensive formation with him and Messi staying up front? Very good questions, and uh, thank you to our listeners to getting in, for getting involved. Um, the question about Deulofeo, I see Deulofeo being a super sub. I see Deulofeo coming in on the 60th minute when rival defenses are tired and trying to make an impact from there. Um, I, Although we're not in an ideal situation right now, I like the fact that he's starting the season as a starter, uh, being part of the first 11. He's definitely going to raise his confidence, particularly if he continues to play well. So once Dembele is signed and hopefully the board will stop playing chess games and will actually just, you know, pay up for the winger that we need because let's face it, at this moment in time, the market is just going to close up and we we really need a starter in that position. So once the board pays up, I would have thought Dembele would be the starter and Delofeu will come on in the second half trying to trying to break defenses even better, uh, particularly when games are tight and uh, rivals are getting tired. In terms of Dembele, if he was signed, which hopefully, as I said, will happen, um, his defensive sort of role, um, I would have thought Dembele would be given much more freedom than Alcácer and Delofeu were given yesterday. I see Dembele as a much more attacking player that can sort of run at defenders, dribble and uh, outpace them in order to sort of push to the byline and then sort of cut through, the, through towards the center whenever needed. And uh, I would have thought Valverde would free him up from the vast majority of defensive mechanisms that um, Deulofeo and Alcácer were involved yesterday. Having said that, um, these early days, the 4-2-3-1 that Valverde used in this game, I think will stick. You know, I'm, I'm a huge believer as our regular listeners know of the 4-3-3 traditionally. But um, given the game yesterday and given the fact that, you know, the game needs to evolve and, and a lot of teams have evolved as well, the 4-3-3-1 used as yesterday seems like an ideal solution. And as I said, it's early days and we don't quite know where this is going to go. But um, at least it's great that things are becoming a little bit more encouraging. It's only game one, but signs are positive. So let's move forward. I agree with all those things, Frances. And more bluntly, I'd want to answer the question of what would Valverde have Dembele do defensively? Well, I want to look back at the reputation that Delafeu had when Luis Enrique sent him packing a few years ago, and it was that he didn't defend well and he didn't know what his duties were. And so Delafeu is still a young player. Valverde has him defending with intensity and working hard. And Dembele, while we even had another listener in Papa Duvalier, say on Twitter, kind of asking what benefit does Dembele give us considering, and in, in Papa's opinion, he has nothing more than speed. He said he struggled against Bayern, showing his flaws and was poor. But having watched Borussia Dortmund a bunch last season, what Dembele brings you offensively is next level, is upper tier, is top 10 winger in the world in terms of what he can do with, as you had mentioned, his freedom and ingenuity. But defensively, you can't 
really be a part of what Borussia Dortmund do without having some defensive duties. So if Dembele can do at least as much defending as delofeu has been doing, or for the like-for-like like, like, like replacement, if Dembele immediately slots in where Neymar was, if Dembele can do the kind of defending that Neymar did, which was sometimes he was in it, sometimes he was helping with the press, but sometimes Neymar didn't want to help too much either. So if Dembele can do things to that level that Neymar was doing them, then I think that'll be the base minimum of what's expected of the player. And I think that can be something you'd, you'd, you'd live with. I agree. I think that that would be a great idea. So going from a potential transfer of Dembele, which is seemingly a ways off, but Frances, as we've been talking all summer, everything seems imminent. Depending on what paper you're asking, every player seems to be on their way to Barcelona, have already signed their paperwork, agreed with the club, yet nothing is official and nothing is done other than Paulinho. Of course, Nelson Semedo earlier in the summer as well. But the big name now, one we have not yet talked about, surprisingly enough, on the Barcelona podcast, just in passing, we're going to highlight right now Jean-Michel Sarri, the 26-year-old niece and Ivory Coast defensive midfielder or shuttling midfielder, not necessarily a box-to-box midfielder, but more of one of those guys who can stay behind the front line of the attack and pick out those key passes moving forward. Key passes and unlocking defenses, as I just mentioned, are his specialty. And while he does play a defensive midfielder position, Nice usually employs a more defensive-minded player with him. So far this season, it's been Christophe Jalet alongside Vincent Coziello. And those two, while who've been sitting in front of Sarri, have been doing a lot more of the box-to-box, snuffing out counterattacks, and working on those defensive sides of things more than Sarri does. And so, Frances, what exactly... If we know what his profile is, again, he's 26. He's a little bit of an unknown commodity because he plays in France. But again, he's been around the pro game for a while. So scouts are more familiar with him than they are for more unknown talent teenagers in other leagues. So what Sarri is going to bring is not necessarily the same thing that Paulinho is going to bring. And so what those two guys were brought in for shows you the different things that Valverde wants his, his midfielders to have. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that Seri can add different shades of the game that uh, the current Barca midfielders, and we've got nearly 11 of them, um, don't necessarily seem to have uh, right now. So Seri has a short game in terms of um, combination, in terms of um, pushing forward as a unit, and he can lead the team like that. He can also offer long passes, uh, which would be very useful in terms of wingers. Um, but let's not forget that Barca given the fact that we go for a 4-2-3-1 formation, um, there may be stages in the game in which we are a little bit more defensive. Um, it was seen against Madrid, obviously, but um, it was also seen for not long, 5-10 minutes um, around the beginning of the second half when Barca basically just gave the ball to Betis and basically got them to attack ourselves. And uh, when that happened, then having a, someone who can have a long ball, um, which is accurate and is purposeful, would be would be a great addition. So that's what Seri can add as well. Um, I love the fact that he has been known for taking long shots. Um, his long range is actually quite accurate. He's very powerful, despite being quite tiny. He's only 165 centimeters tall, uh, basically around Messi's height. So that would fit, make Messi feel much better, I hope, in that, in that sense. Um, so his long shot has been tremendous and is one of the main sort of skills that he has demonstrated throughout his career in France. Um, He's got great charisma. He's someone who is respected by teammates and rivals alike. And uh, we definitely 
need people who have high expectations on themselves and they are born winners and that's what Serene has been added throughout the years then it's also someone who can organize the play if he was to be signed by Barca obviously he would play alongside in my eyes he would play in that too alongside Busquets and uh, if he was a 4-3-3 he would be a right interior uh, someone who can eat and chase positions, particularly with Busquets, whenever Busquets pushes forward, which is something that he's begun to do slightly um, in recent times. So I think that Seri will be a great addition to Barca, um, someone who's got a much more reasonable price tag, you know, um, depending where you get your news, you, you, you sort of have read that um, the French club Nice has an, a release clause of 40 million euros. Um, some Some outlets do say that that clause is no longer in place. But, you know, regardless, we're not looking at 100 million like we, like we were sort of prepared to throw around for Coutinho. And this is someone who could be here long term. This is someone who could take the team forward and uh, seems to align quite well with the idea that Valverde wants to bring in. So without a doubt, it's got a thumbs up approval from the Barcelona podcast right here. We've been talking all summer about this midfielder logjam. And Juventus right now rumored to be lurking around Andre Gomez because Andre Gomez would seemingly be the odd man out if Sergio Roberto was rated in the way that you'd think that Valverde has rated him. And we haven't really seen too much of Gomez because, as we had talked about before, he came late to preseason because of the Confederations Cup and he didn't do too well in his one performance against Real Madrid. The number we keep using is whether it's 10 or 11 or 12 midfielders that's what it might look like when we had seen the roster at the beginning of the summer, Frances, but I'm just doing the simple math here. And other than Iniesta, Busquets, Rakitic, you'd say that's your first choice midfield three right now. Then you have Sergi Roberto, Andre Gomez, and now you're fitting in Paulinho to that as well. Rafinha is still injured, so most likely won't be transferred out. And Carlos Alenia is going to be playing largely in Barcelona B and could be on the bench occasionally. No Sergi Samper. He's been told that you're not going to be a part of the club's plans this season at least, so get out on loan. And then Denise Suarez and Arda Turan have clearly been seen in Valverde's plans as on the wings. And that's if Arda Turan is, is in Valverde's plans at all. So we're assuming that Turan is not going to be welcome at the club. And Denise Suarez has a place out on the wing to add depth. Now, of course, bringing in another winger would force Valverde's hand in to think about where you get minutes for Denis Suarez, but because he can play both in the center midfield and on the wing, he's a guy with versatility, so it's going to depend on who's injured and where he fits in at certain times. But So if we're counting Denis Suarez on the wing, that is only seven first-teamers, not counting Elena, in the midfield right now. So I, my thing would be that you know Jean-Michel Serri might not make that any worse I mean, he is a player, as we had mentioned, more in the Iniesta and Sergi Roberto role. So that's why Roberto might feel a little more threatened by the signing or Iniesta might feel a little more threatened by the signing. But again, they're years apart. So why would Iniesta feel threatened? And that brings up another point, Francesca, we'll go to this new topic in Andres Iniesta's contract. In that in an interview with the newspaper El País, he said he's considering his Barcelona future. And he's using language that we're not used to hearing from Andres Iniesta, who is usually answering always in the affirmative that he's going to stay at the club and be there long term. And he says, in fact, I have not renewed yet. I've experienced many sensations that I did not know, but I think they are normal. It is a, it is a scenario that three years ago, surely I could never have imagined. 
Let's say I think about the future when I did not do it before. We all like to be appreciated, valued, and respected. Although I have always felt the affection and respect of all here, I have no doubt. But I am also clear that in this club, you can never lose respect for people who have given their lives for these colors. It should not be lost, and sometimes it can give the impression that it does. Now, is he saying with those not not dark comments, there's, there's no mystery to them, but is Iniesta speaking about his playing career and that he may not have as many years left as he would like, or is he speaking about his future with the club Barcelona and saying that if he runs out of form and Valverde picks other players, that he might not want to renew his contract? I think there's a lot to unpick in everything you just said. Um, in terms of the number of midfielders, I would say they all need to be considered either defensive midfielders or attacking midfielders. Whether they play on the wings whenever it's needed, e.g. Rafinha, Turan or, or Denis Suarez, I think that's a point that depends on the formation, but um, they need to be counted as, as midfielders. Now, moving on to the Iniesta um, comments that he has um, shared via El País in, in Spanish sort of national newspaper, um, I would say that it, it, in a way, it does show how unhappy the vast majority of the squad, or at least Las Vacas Sagradas, which are the sacred cows, which are the it's a Spanish expression to say that they are the most important key players in the squad. Um, they are not happy with the board. You know, you had Busquets um, calling out Pep Segura uh, in our previous episode uh, at tvpod.link slash 25, it was. Um, so I think that it is important that to see that the board has been called out continuously. Gerard Piqué um, is not very happy either. And then having Iniesta, someone who's always so calm, um, sort of calling the board out for something to do with his contract renewal, but obviously linked to the whole situation, um, is very, very telling. Um, I also know that uh, Robert, Robert Fernandez, our sporting director, is not really seen in a very good light by the squad. Um, they feel the squad has gotten weaker over this summer and, you know, it's only a matter of time until someone else continues to say something else against the board. Um, but, you know, let's not forget that they are working as, as employees, so they, it's, they're sort of limited on what they can say. Now, in terms of Iniesta, um, talking about his situation, you know, let's let's face it, he's 33 years old and um, he is about to sign what could probably be his last final major contract. Um, it is natural that he begins to see what else is out there. Um, I've seen a couple of reports saying that the Chinese league has been in touch and, you know, <laughs> they are only likely to offer him a huge amount of money um, be given his quality and his status in world football. So, you know, at that age, you sort of, think about what you could do, th think about what you would be in three, four years' time. And, you know, it is usual and it's sort of normal and understandable that he is tempted because he's a club legend. He's given everything to us. So the temptation can be there at this moment in time. Now, um, I don't think for a second he's going to leave. I think he's got a good two, three seasons to give to us. Fair enough, injuries haven't always respected him. And as he ages, they are not going to get any less frequent. But I think he's got sort of a teaching part to do. He's got, um, in a way, to pass the baton to the new generations. You know, if Seri came, he could learn a lot from Iniesta, um, Denis Suarez, Sergio Roberto, Rafinha, all of these players that are still part of a squad and uh, until they leave us, we're going to assume they're going to be here for the long term. Um, they have a lot to learn from Iniesta. So in, in a player of his characteristics given his status, given his know-how, given the fact that he represents what La Masia is, 
he needs to stay, you know, until until he really can't do any more and he really decides that we're going to call it a day, e.g. what Xavi did uh, just a couple of seasons ago. He needs to be here, you know. Um, how many of us out there really hope that, that Xavi was still with us? You know, and he wasn't playing that many games in the last season, but his influence was telling in everybody else. So you need to look beyond the, the pure numbers and how many kilometers they've run in each game and see sort of the bigger picture and what they represent in order to decide whether they need to be here. And Iniesta is somebody that I will keep at the club for as long as needed. Um, in terms of Gomez, um, Turan, etc., the door is wide open if they want to leave, but there needs to be a payout that um, is beneficial for our club before that happens. I'm not opposed to the idea. I understand what you're saying to put on the depth chart Arda Turan and Denis Suarez in the midfield, but I, I still disagree that there's this huge logjam in the middle. I think form is really important, and let's say Paulinho doesn't have the best form and doesn't look good, or if Rakitic is struggling in a few games like he did last year and found himself on the bench until he regained his form. It just seems to me that one or two injuries, I mean, Rafinha is still injured right now, and it seems to me that one or two injuries could make it seem like Barcelona have no quality on the bench and no one to step into certain roles. And so I I don't think it's that far-fetched to think that it's a team that could have 10 midfielders particularly in the way that Barcelona want to play, just in the sake of competition, to have 10 midfielders. And we've talked about exactly what our order should be and where we find guys. And I agree with you that it should be attacking midfielders and defensive midfielders, and that Iniesta is really core to still core to what that attacking midfielders, and he is the number one that you'd write on a team sheet. Even though he struggled against Real Madrid, as, as we've said, we have the I guess it's unfair that he's injured now, but we have the good fortune of being able to say that his poor performance against Real Madrid was due to a knock. So shifting then from the midfield, which I think still, as I said, we're, the season has already begun and the transfer window is almost closed. So the midfield, I think other than a few ones leaving, it's pretty much what it is unless Seri comes in. And so then we have to ask the question, as you had talked about, he could slot in on the right midfield. So that would be replacing Rakitic, not replacing him, but supplementing him for a number of games. And so we'd have to see where the, well, Valverde chooses to use and employ all of his different players that need minutes. But the big hole, as you and I have talked about this whole show already, Frances, is still on the left wing. It will continue to be on the left wing. And we have to use the caveat that Dembele is not done. It's not close to done. It might not get done until the transfer window is done. So Barcelona have had to begin to look at alternatives and we'll be real quick with this one, is that Angel de Maria, the 29-year-old Argentinian winger, of course, he's getting cheaper and cheaper based on PSG's remaining dealings, including having brought in Neymar. That's pushed Di Maria over to the right wing, which is where he's most naturally fit. But Di Maria, in the long run, PSG might see that if Barcelona want to buy him for 30 or 40 million euro, then PSG is more than willing to do that. Potentially, Di Maria could be coming out on loan if he thinks that the competition in PSG is too much. The big question about PSG is whether or not they can seal up Kelly and Mbappe coming from AS Monaco. And if they do get Mbappe, that means Di Maria is most assuredly going to be leaving. But again, that's a lot of what-ifs and a lot of dominoes have to fall for Barcelona to truly want to pull the trigger on Di Maria. For me, Julian Draxler, the 23-year-old German left winger, seems to be not only a better fit, but 
he potentially could be gotten on a loan is what we've heard. And the rumors have been a six to eight million dollar euro loan deal, such as Real Madrid did with Bayern Munich with James Rodriguez. But Draxler, I think, will be a little more difficult to get and the negotiations will take too long. But Di Maria, it seems like Kool-Aid are divided on him, that they understand that we need a starter at the left wing. And Di Maria, while he is primarily a right winger, could play left wing. But Philippe Coutinho, who after three rejected bids from Barcelona to Liverpool, it appears that it's a dead deal. And so Coutinho couldn't be coming. So, Frances, what would you tell Kool-Aid if they have to, we'll say, live with Angel Di Maria? (laughs) I would say uh, life is not worth living. (laughs) Um, Di Maria can never come to the Camp Nou, man. Um, For many reasons. He is busted. He's 29 years old. He's an ex-Real Madrid player. Um, and we don't really want him. Um, having us paying any money to PSG right this season after they've taken Neymar, thanks to their Qatari, Qatari money, is not going to happen. Um, the financial fair play uh, is something they need to sort out themselves. They're not, they should not be getting any money from our club whatsoever to sort out their problems. Um, if they got too many players, then so be it. That is their problem to, to sort out. Um, if, the, if Bartomeu was to sign Di Maria, I think that would be pretty much the last thing he does. Um, I would be pretty sure that the vast majority of the Camino faithful will go into the um, Directiva, uh, which is the board um, area, put him in a rocket and send him in the next one all the way to Neptune. Um, not going to happen. I mean, it would be unthinkable that after everything that they've done this summer, we have to live with Di Maria um, wearing the Blaugrana. Absolutely no sense. Um, as for Draxler that you mentioned, seems like a possibility. But right now, I'm just focused on getting Dembele. Um, let's not forget that he's been he's been sitting at home. You know, he has refused to go to training for over, I would say, 10 days now. Uh, this is a 20-year-old that is risking his whole career in order to come to Barca because that is his dream. You know, even the uh, Borussia Dortmund board, uh, I think, I can't remember his name. I think it's Mer- Merchel or something. Um, he was talking to the press saying that he wouldn't do it. Dembele wouldn't do this for any other club in the world. But he's always been his dream to play for us. And uh, he sort of understands his position. But Barca need to pay up. Uh, when questioned on how much money um, are we talking about, he said not as much as the press is saying. So latest reports, and you know we can only go on what reports we read from different media, um, say that the 100 million euro fee has been agreed, which, as we mentioned in tbpod.link slash 24, um, was the sort of the number that we would say, OK, that, that's, the, that's the limit. And they're now sort of discussing variables uh, that can be at this moment in time around 30 million. So for 100 million, I would say yes, um, a little bit more than that. You know, given the situation that we are in this crazy transfer window, I would say we have to pay it up because, you know, otherwise the season is not just not going to be as successful as it should. So right now is a necessity. I think we need to pay up a little bit more than we were prepared to. But um, I'm fairly happy to see that Coutinho sort of virtual deadline, which expired on Sunday, um, hasn't hasn't come to fruition. I would say Barca reportedly offered 130 million for Coutinho. I think that's way too much. Given what we've got in the squad and the current needs, if we're going to pay more than 100, that has to be for Dembele because he would add a lot of quality. He would slot right into a starting 11 and I just don't see anything else making sense right now. If we get Seri and Dembele and we can offload, say, two or three of our midfielders, I think the transfer season 
could be considered a success. Obviously, minus Neymar, but he was going to go anyway. So let's just see what happens. But um, Di Maria Dubarça is an absolute no-no. And Frances, as we continue to talk about the wing, we also have a listener question from the website, Joe Hatunk, and he knows exactly how to get your question answered. Of course, if you go to tbpod.link backslash ask, that'll really help the community. That's where we want to see our questions from the website. So we can almost guarantee that if you ask it on the website, that, of course, we'll do try to do one per listener on the website. But if you do ask on the website, we're going to really give a the most concerted effort, and it's the best chance to get your question answered. So just ask, do we really need Coutinho when we have Sergi Roberto, independently of how much Liverpool are asking? And do they really? Do we really need Coutinho if Roberto, and for me it's Frances, should be if Roberto played like he did last week. And while they do play different positions, I think Roberto did a lot of the things that you're expecting Coutinho to do, except Coutinho cost $150 million. Yeah, I think Coutinho for €100 million, Euros, I would sign. Coutinho for a penny more than that. Absolutely not. Um, I think that he is a player with plenty of potential. We've spoken about it before in the podcast. And I think that given his potential, given the sort of growth that he has developed at, at Liverpool and the way that he associates with, with his teammates, he will be a good addition. But um, the, the, the numbers that have been thrown out in reports are just insane. So for 100 million, yes. Anything above that? No, thank you. Well, could Di Maria to Barca be because of a good relationship he has with Messi from the national team? And could that be a ploy to make Messi happy? And that brings up our most speculative topic and the last topic of the day and one that we say when we speak about with a pretty dark cloud. And that's a big question of will Messi remain a Barca player next season? Of course, big news coming out again that Messi might be unhappy, that he's being linked with Manchester City, that Pep Guardiola might be able to bring him to the Emirates in Manchester. But as we know, the reason this is coming out is because his contract has been drawn up and they're merely just waiting on a signature. And Robert Fernandez has said, as you mentioned, only the signature is missing. But I think taking it all into account and is a perfect time for the gossip magazines and the tabloids to create this story, right? The board has very little confidence from Kool-Aid's it seems that Barcelona is in a state of turmoil. Messi seemed unhappy for a game that, of course, began with a moment of silence. And there is this just a, a great deal of sadness happening in Barcelona. So taking all of those things into account, plus the fact that Neymar has left the club, that Luis Suarez is currently injured, but also over the age of 30. And Messi has just turned 30 himself and seems like, again, we're beginning that post-30 timeline for Lionel Messi. Taking all of that into account, the tabloids and gossip magazines, I believe, have found a perfect timing and opportunity to begin again anew that Messi is upset and looking for a new challenge to move back with Pep Guardiola and to try to figure things out here. I, it just, I do believe that he's going to put pen to paper, but Frances, I don't think you can blame us for being nervous when you take everything into account. No, and I think we we can be sort of feeling like this because the board has very little confidence from fans. And, you know, Messi renewing his contract should be a no-brainer. You know, it should just be, well, Messi, what, what would you like to have? What can offer this, right? What else do you want? Messi would say, I would like a competitive team so that I can be sure to be winning titles every year. The board would say, okay, we should sign so-and-so and that should be a done deal. 
you know, um, being at this stage in the transfer season, um, late August now, and not having uh, a replacement for Neymar is something that, you know, if you are Messi, it would upset you because your, your squad has just gotten worse over the last month and you are looking for reassurances that things are going to get better. Now, from that to saying that he's leaving, no way. He's not leaving Barca. Um, I was privileged and very grateful to be talking to the front, the front three podcast. Um, that is the front three podcast. Um, thank you to the team there for inviting me um, to your show. Um, if you want to hear that, just go to tvpod.link slash 26. So the show notes um, to look for that, that interview that was published last Saturday. And they were quite insistent. They were quite eager to find out whether Messi was going to stay. Um, to be honest, I thought it, it was a little bit of a no-brainer. Um, no go question, but um, you know, given the situation as you put it, and you've really sort of explained it really well just now, um, it is something that if you're sort of not following Barca on a weekly basis, you could even begin to believe. But I think there is no base to it. Messi will stay. It's just he needs reassurances that the team is going to continue to be strong enough for him to succeed, and the board should do that. There is no time to waste. There are no excuses to be understood or sort of um, forgiven by. And it just needs to happen now. And, you know, if Messi was to even say anything about leaving, that would automatically mean Bartomeu would leave, uh, which is something that Jan uh, Laporta, a previous president, um, has been tweeting about over the weekend. So it, there's lots of turmoil going on, lack of confidence on the board. But, you know, Messi... Is pretty much every single brick in the camp know right now. You know he is our club, and he definitely can't be leaving. Um, then there will be riots in the city if he did. So he definitely has to stay. He will stay, but let's just hope that the board gives him uh, whatever he needs. And uh, I'll say just a little point here. I know there's been lots of tragedy going on in Barcelona um, over the last say four or five days, and we have purposefully not, not spoken about it in this show. Um, I just want to say that we are not afraid and we need to move off, move on with life, which is why we haven't mentioned too much. Uh, but um, that that's all I need to say on it. Uh, we are not afraid. Thank you. That seems like a good place to end it, Frances. And for those who are looking for a preview of Barcelona's next game, that one being on Saturday against Deportivo Alaves, we're going to talk about that one on the Thursday slash Friday show or our second show of this week. And plenty more as well. And hopefully, by that time, Frances, we have one or even two new signings to potentially talk about. Hopefully, we cross our fingers. And we hope that you can also head over to tbpod.link backslash ask to ask us questions. We thank all the listeners for their feedback and questions. And apologies if we didn't get to yours. If you keep asking, we could get to it on the second show of the week. You can go to backslash 26 for the show notes. And if you go to tbpod.link backslash support, you can check out all of our nice deals, including some from Nike and Amazon. And of course, tbpod.link backslash iTunes review would really help us out as well. It'll help put this podcast into more ears and we can help continue the Barcelona podcast community grow. And that's what ultimately the end goal is. And all of that, of course, would help us out a ton. So thanks for listening again to the Barcelona Podcast as we'll continue to bring you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon at Forza Barca. Forza.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.